Good morning. Well, uh, I've, I just have to apologise. I've got a bit of a cold, so um, uh, please bear with me if I'm sniffing at all during the sermon. Um, I want to start, we had a little bit of interaction this morning with Sue, and that was awesome, uh, but I want to start with a little bit more interaction, just check you're all still awake. Uh, so I'm just going to do a little bit of a thing. So if you will humble me, you have to do this because I'm ill and you have to feel sorry for me. So uh, if, if you could, please just stick out your hands like this in front of you, just like that. Uh, and then what I want you to do is turn your hands upside down so they're back to back. Then you need to put your right hand over to your left and grasp together. Okay? Then, this is the special part, if you don't do this, it doesn't work, okay? You need to wriggle your left ring finger. So that's that one there for the youth who don't have rings on probably, and somewhere else, okay? And then after three, after you've done the wiggling, ready? You need to just turn your hands, one, two, three, just like that. Okay? Just, so, oh, just, just like that. Nice and simple, yeah? Yeah, just, just, just like, just turn. Anyone manage to do it? No, brilliant, just what I wanted. So uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit. But uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing, uh, well, no, we're not really, we're going to be jumping back a series. Um, so we've just finished looking at people of hope. Uh, we had last week uh, Paul talking about Isaiah. Uh, and next week, we're going to be starting a new series uh, on Colossians. Uh, but for just today, we're going to be jumping back just a little bit to questions of hope. Uh, so the series we did just before people. And uh, the question is going to be, where is your hope today? Um, but also, I was, I was debating this, this question this week. Uh, it was either going to be, where is your hope today, or finding hope in the darkness. But really, they're kind of interlinked. Uh, so Paul, Paul gave me this, this topic and suggested that I take a look at Psalm 42 uh, and use that as the basis for the sermon today. Um, and the, uh, the psalm... It's, it's really, really great. And when many, many people read it, they think of that, that song that we just sung, um, As the Deer Pants for Water. And, and for me, it's, it's a song I would describe as, as nice. It's, it's a nice song. It's got, it's got some good words in it, uh, but it doesn't really, doesn't really get me going. I mean, for some people, it's, it's great, and it does get them going. But for me, it's, it's just a, a nice one. But I feel that the psalm, when you really get into it, um, portrays something more. It's pulling more out of it. So... As I'm going to read this psalm, uh, how I feel that the psalmist would have written. It's a bit of a, a dramatic reading of, of what would have been going through his mind as he was penning this psalm. Um, so I just wonder how many of us are going through these types of things. So Psalm 42 says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan 
the heights of Hermon from the Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Powerful, powerful words. Someone uh, struggling in their faith, struggling at whatever they're going through. They've, they've known the full wonder of God. They experienced the joy of being a believer. But now this psalm is the cry of a man far away from that, so removed from the outward orders and worship of God, sighing uh, for the longed love of, of God. At the same time, it's the voice of a spiritual believer under depression, longing for renewal of God in his life, struggling with doubts and with fears, but yet holding his ground uh, by faith in the living God. How many of us go through these times? How many of us are going through these times right now? Today we're set to answer the question, where is your hope today? But what also needs to be addressed is, what can we do when we're going through these times, these times of depression, anxiety, stress, grief, when, when those times when God doesn't seem present. And those, I, I looked at it and I thought the roots of those things, depression, anxiety, stress, the root of it is worry. And so I want to have a look in, in today in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, where Jesus gives the command, do not worry. Uh, and he says this, he says, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Simple? Yeah? But, but how do we live that out? It's a, it's a great command, but how do we live it out? How do we live out the abundance of the life that God calls us into? Worry is something that chokes a lot of us, and it chokes, uh, chokes, the exper- chokes us from experiencing joy and peace and freedom and those things that the psalmist is yearning for. And worry attacks us in all sorts of ways, but what is worry? Now, it's a, it's a fear about something, Uh, A troubled sense that we experience about something that might happen to us. And it comes in two forms that I've found. The first is solvable worry, and the second is what people call floating worry. And these these ideas I'm taking from a book uh, called The Worry Book, nice and simple title, uh, by Will Vanderhart and Rob Waller. And in there, they talk about the difference between the solvable and the floating worries. So a solvable worry... Uh, would be something that most of us experience in an average day. It's a problem that that occurs, that we're concerned about, uh, but we can address it. 
so it might be that I wake up with a bit of a headache, uh, so I go and take some paracetamol, and hopefully that will cover it and address the problem. Uh, a floating worry would be the things in the backgrounds, things like uh, my health uh, on a whole, um, things that I'm constantly stressing about. Another example might be relationships, uh, like I could come into the house in the evening and Jackie might be uh, uh, stomping about the house, uh, throwing pots and pans in the cupboard, seeming really annoyed. Um, so, uh, so, but then uh, we have to then sit down and talk and uh, converse about that uh, and address the problem. But a floating worry in relationships is something more like being constantly stressed about them, fearful of what people think about you, uh, replaying conversations in your head at the end of the day to make sure you didn't get anything wrong, uh, checking through your text messages and dwelling on the things and stewing on them quite a lot. That's a, a floating background worry. So there are problems and worries that we can solve, and there are floating worries that we can't address in the same way. And for all of us, we're on, on a bit of a spectrum where in terms of worry, for some of us, we're probably worriers in a, in a serious way, and for other of us, less so. For all of us, we kind of get used to living with worry, and it becomes quite a normal thing, and particularly when you've got a high level of that background worry, uh, if you've, you've got to kind of imagine it like you're, you're in icy water, uh, and it's, say it's up, to, it's up to our necks, so we're fine, we're, we're not drowning, we're a bit cold, uh, we're, not exactly, um, we're not exactly relaxed in the situation, uh, but we have a high level of worry in our life, and it's usually one of the things uh, doesn't get diagnosed or doesn't get treated, and it's something we just struggle with and carry on with worry. But when we, we tip over a bit more, that's when we start to experience things like anxiety and depression. And the symptoms of that become more obvious, and hopefully at that point, when it starts to get too much, we then go and seek some help. We go to a doctor, get treated. Um, but when it comes to worry, often we just carry on surviving. So imagine, for example, that you're taking a long road trip, uh, and you're going somewhere, and just, about as, just as you're about to begin your journey, you spot a hitchhiker, uh, and he's going to the same place as you are, which is great. So, so you pick him up, as the nice, good Christian thing to do would be. Uh, but then you're about 10 minutes into your journey, and you start to realize that this man is the most annoying man in the world. He uh, can't decide whether he wants the windows up or down. He keeps changing the radio station. Uh, he realizes after a minute he supports Birmingham City, and he just goes on and on and on and on about it, just talking and talking, and he's driving your head in. But the thing is, uh, you, at that point, you realize that this man is going to ruin the drive. Uh, you've still got about six hours to go. The drive is going to be ruined. So you're thinking, I was looking forward to having some headspace or maybe listening to some music, um, but now he's here, and I can't, I can't really kick him out. I mean, he's not a psychopath. He hasn't pulled a knife out on me. He's not going uh, to steal my car or anything like that. He's just annoying. Uh, and what he's doing is he's draining the joy away from me. Uh, so worry is a bit like that. Uh, it's, it's not so much uh, that... We're, it's too much to push out, but it's there, and it's draining us away from us. Uh, it's not extreme that it causes us to take experience, uh, serious action against it most of the time, but it sits there, and it sucks out our peace, and we become used to living with it 
It drains us just as the psalmist is being drained by his opponents, constantly saying, where is your God? And Jesus wants us to be free from worry. So the key question to ask is, what would my life look like if I worried less? I reckon we would have more joy. We'd enjoy God, we'd enjoy our friends, our families. Uh, We'd probably enjoy what we do for a living a bit more. We'd become more mature and probably make better decisions. That's what a worry-free life could look like. And that's possible as we follow Jesus and pay attention to his words. In that passage in Matthew, Jesus starts to talk about the specific worries. So the first thing that we should think of is what are we worried about? The psalmist even says in verse 5 today, Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? So what are our worries whether it be those specific solvable ones or the floating background ones, what are the things we are worried about? The examples that Jesus gives when talking to the people about worry uh, are what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, and what they're going to wear. And when we think about worry, we tend to think on a surface level of worry. The immediate things, the things like what we're going to eat, drink, and wear. But really, we need to look at the root of our worries to answer the question, What am I concerned about? What am I worried about? For the people in Matthew 6, the root of these problems, the eating, drinking, and and the clothes, is probably they're looking for a certainty of a future that's guaranteed. Guaranteed independently of God's. And Jesus digs into that, but for us, what are the things that stress us? What are the things we stress about? And it's, it's worth asking what those things are and working them out. Because so few of us, what we do is we... Uh, Don't join the dots between the surface-level worry and the roots and the heart of the worry. If you're only dealing with worries on a surface level, then it's like you're trimming a plant. The root is still there, and the plant's just going to grow back. So what are the things you're worried about? What are the themes as you begin to reflect? Oh, I'm sometimes worried about uh, how much my shopping's going to cost or how uh, how many bills I've got left to pay this month, where really the the root of that is going to be money. And is my financial future stable? So as you reflect and you think, I always get stressed when this comes out or something causes me to feel anxious, you find yourself thinking about the roots. And that's a worry theme. And the first thing that we need to do as we look to address worry is work out what is the root of our worries. Is it that we're seeking certainty? Often our worries attach themselves to the things that are most important in our lives. So themes for a lot of people's worries tend to be health, relationships, finance, work, and faith. So what for you particularly jumps out when you're looking at your worries? That's the thing that Je- first thing that Jesus does. He addresses those roots. The second thing that he- Jesus does in the, that Matthew passage is he uh, attacks worry itself by saying, can any of you... Uh, by worrying, add a single hour to your life. And he begins to undermine not specific worries, but actually the value of worry itself. He's asking, what is the point of worrying at all? What's the benefit? How is it helping us? And that is such an important question for us to be thinking about, because many of us uh, subconsciously think that worry actually helps us. Uh, There's part of us that doesn't like worrying, but there's another part that has actually grown in us 
that actually it's more like a, con- a comfort, a comforting, dis- but destructive friend. And so we say to our, uh, ourselves things like, see if you recognize any of this, worry helps me to resolve difficult issues. Worry helps me prepare for life's challenges. When I worry about problems, they're less likely to happen. Worry prevents things from going wrong. If I worry, then I'm a nicer person. So we make up these rules that kind of protect worry in our life and and give an excuse for it. Some people this week have picked up their GCSE results. Uh, GCSE, GC, that's right, GCSE results. Uh, And a couple of weeks ago, it was the the A-levels. But for those people, they might have thought before their exams, if I worry about my exams, then I'm more likely to pass them or pass or do do even better. But let me make it clear, those people that got those grades, they didn't get them because they worried about them. They got them because they studied for them. And of course, there's an argument here to be made that if you're worried about something, it kind of drives you more to study. But God doesn't want us to be driven by fear. He doesn't want that to be a motivating factor in our lives. It's a lie to think that if I stop worrying about something, then I won't do well at a particular thing. But it's easy to believe that. So worry can be like a destructive friend in our lives. But it's also been said that worry can be a bit like a rocking chair. It, uh, it gives you something to do, but you don't actually get anywhere. So some people find it helpful because it's giving them something to do. And often we find that we worry uh, about something, but in reality there's really nothing we can do about it. Like, I don't know about you, but I am particularly worried about the, uh, the possibility of a no-deal or a bad-deal Brexit, uh, and what that's going to mean for our country, what it's going to mean for me and my family, and ultimately, there's very little that I can do to influence the, ble- the Brexit negotiations, and anything I could do would just be tiny, whether it's just like a signature on a petition or something. Uh, so what happens is it's impossible for me to do anything about it. But there is something I can do, which is worry, which is stress. Or it could be a different situation where we have no control. Uh, But it's giving us something to do. It's directing our energy. And our energy is being put to use in the fact that it really isn't achieving anything. And by doing that, it's actually having a detrimental effect on us and on our mental health. Looking at Jesus when he says, do not worry, it's a command. It's, it's not an invitation like, come to me and you don't have to worry anymore. It's, a, it's not a gentle suggestion, ah, oh, don't worry about stuff. It's a command, do not worry. But why is he saying it so strongly? Why is he giving us this Im- almost impossible command? It's because so many of us want to hang out with worry because we think it's helpful. So he's saying it strongly to help us understand that's not true. If you had a friend who was an alcoholic, uh, perhaps to an extent where alcohol starts to get them through certain things, it doesn't make it good. And if you saw your friends uh, as you were going into a room about to have a relapse and grabbing for the bottle, the first thing you would say to them is, don't touch that bottle. Don't go near it. It would be out of love and out of care for that person. So that's why Jesus says so strongly, worry is not from God. He doesn't want us to be driven by fear, and he's calling us to break the habit. 
and to come into something different. Thirdly, how do we begin to do that? If Jesus talks about specific worries and then worry itself, then what he does is he gives us some very practical advice about how to handle worry. He doesn't say, oh, just don't, don't worry about stuff, everything's going to be okay. Uh, he gives us something to do to get in, our teeth into. Verse 33 in that passage says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We're not called to live a worry-free life. We're called to pursue his kingdom. That's what the psalmist uh, was doing despite everything when he says, pour your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He says that twice, reminding himself that we're not to be seeking to build a life of perfect certainty. If we look at the early church in Acts, uh, they aren't after a worry-free life. They're looking to build God's kingdom. St. Paul had some dreadful things happen to him, and yet, frequently, he said that these things that he's going through are light and short-lived in comparison to the eternal glory that is awaiting him. Our lifting eyes from the things that concern us, lifting our eyes from the things that concern us so much and take our time away from putting them on the kingdom and putting them on him. It's an incredible practical tool to remind ourselves what really has eternal significance in our lives. And that gives us, it should give us a new sense of peace. And Jesus says to do that, all the stuff that you actually need as a bonus will be given to you from the Father. Then Jesus says in verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has a trouble of its own. If we think back to those solvable worries and those floating worries, I would class that uh, as a trouble of today, those solvable worries. That's a trouble of today. That's what Jesus says. Focus on. Think of those things. But then, for the tomorrow worry about itself, those floating worries, they're in the background ones. They're the worries of tomorrow. We spend more time focusing on the things that we can't change rather than the things we can. And we can show here that Jesus tells us focus primarily on the things we can influence. The first step in doing that is to work out what those things are. Uh, but then what we can do is to make a plan. To talk to others about it is helpful too, and then you can address those issues. But that doesn't mean we just have to, we can, we can leave the things, uh, the, the floating worries, the background worries, we don't have to just have to leave them. We can, we can do things that we can't change. We can do things to help the things that we can't change. Uh, and first things, there's two things I want us to look at. Uh, first is pray, and the next one is be present. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, uh, it says, Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present yourself to God, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, if I have a worry that I can't practically address, then what I do is I give it to God in prayer. I don't just have to sit on it, I can give it to him. So I say things like, Lord, can you worry about this for the time, for, the, for now? Or can you help me with this situation? 
And sometimes what happens is a couple of hours later, I take it back from the Lord and I start worrying about it again. But then what we have to do is get into the habit of then giving it back. And it kind of comes, kind of comes like a tennis match. You're whacking it back to God. Uh, but then you're drawing it back in and then you're whacking it back again. So give your things to God. Let him carry them rather than your own stressing about it. Uh, it's a repetitive practice, but actually it's one of the most helpful, practical ways that we can begin to address anxiety and stress in our lives, learning to give it over to him. And our, as our psalmist reminded us, God um, calls us, calls, God calls himself the rock. He is the thing that we can lean on, and he wants us to go to him. He, that's what he wants from us. He wants us to lean more into him. So that's, that's, where pray, that's where prayer comes in. But the next one is always be present, to live in the right here and the right now. The way that uh, a guy called Eugene Peterson, who uh, wrote some of the message, translates Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, is this. says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. In other words, live today. Focus on today and focus on the moments. And our freedom and life will come a lot easier if we spend less time, less of our time focusing on the big stuff, we can impact uh, and more focus on the things of today, the things that we can control today. And all the way through Scripture, that's what God is trying to help us with. He's trying, what we're trying to do is help us live in the midst of an uncertain world and focus on what He is doing in the right here and the right now right in front of us. Verse 8 of Psalm 42 says, By the day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. God is working for us. So let's notice him. Let's see what he's doing in our lives. So I started today with the magic trick. Uh, some of you might not have realized it was a magic trick. Uh, but what you didn't notice is as I pointed at my ring finger, I switched my hands over. And that was how I managed to do it. But why did I do that? I wanted to show you uh, a little bit. Of, this is a nice practical example of thinking about how we can set our priorities. Uh, and this is a picture that our Ryan and Jackie's mentor gave us, a guy called Steve Thompson. Um, gave us this picture of a hand. And he said, think about your priorities. One, two, three, four, five. What would they be? So for me, example, it might be God. God has to come first in our lives. Uh, next, it would be myself, because if I'm, if I'm not okay, if, if, uh, if my, my health or my mental state isn't okay, then I can't then think about the other things that are going to follow. So I can't then think about Jackie. So my wife, Jackie, would probably come next in my priority list. Then it would be Evie and the rest of my family. Uh, and then probably church or everything else would be number five. Uh, but we find ourselves in life uh, quite often flipped the wrong way around. So maybe we've got uh, something to prepare for if you're a Sunday school leader, uh, you're, so you're stressed about that. You're thinking, oh, I really need to focus on that this week. Or maybe it's something at work, a presentation you've got to give. So that comes first. But then you're forgetting all the other things. You're forgetting, and really, God sometimes in that comes last. But what God is calling us to do is seek first his kingdom. Focus on him. Then the rest of the stuff will fall into place. So often we get trapped in that situation, but really it's as simple as flipping it over and putting God first in our lives. So too often we get our priorities the wrong way around, but we need to make sure that God is coming first and all the other things are falling into place. 
So in terms of addressing worry, we need to look for the roots. Secondly, we need to recognize that worry itself has no value. It's just a destructive friend. And that's why Jesus, who wants the best for us, does not want us to live in, this, in the mists of worry. Thirdly, it's getting perspective, reminding ourselves to seek first his kingdom, not a life of certainty, but the kingdom of God. And then after that, what we do is we hear his verse today about troubles, the, t- the verse about the troubles of today versus the worries of tomorrow. If it's a trouble today, of course we can pray about that too, but we make a plan uh, to deal with it, whether it's talking to people, whether it's uh, just praying more, or going to see a doctor, or whatever it is, deal with it. And that if it's, to, if it's a worry of tomorrow, we pray, commit it to God, and then we choose to be present in what he's doing in our lives right now. So where is your hope today? In these times of depression, anxiety, worry, and grief, God is there. He wants to be your hope, but will you let him? Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God has brought you to a place in your life. Let's be reminded of that fact and focus on him. Uh, I'd like to invite the band back up as we're going to sing now. But if you would like prayer this morning, if there is a worry that you are facing today, if you are finding that struggle in your life, then may I encourage you uh, to, maybe during this next song even, don't leave it to the end of the service, to go over to the prayer place where people will be happy to pray with you. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to say, oh, what are they worried about? Uh, But if you have any worry or stress, then go to the prayer place or after the service, go into the prayer room. People will be happy and willing to pray with you. But let me just pray, and then we'll sing our final song. So Lord God, help us to put you first to find you as our hope in the midst of darkness. Lord God, you are the ultimate one who can solve any issue, Lord God. So we pray that you uh, remind us that we're not called to be driven by fear and worry, but to give everything over to you, to lean on the rock of our salvation. So Lord God, this morning, may we be reminded that you've never left us on our own, but you are always there with us. Amen.